If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name's Stephen Portia. My name's Andrew Carroll. Today we're discussing a character actor veteran, someone who no matter how little movies or TV you've watched, you've probably seen her in something, chances are. Um, It's Judy Greer. Judy Greer. Andrew, run down their history. Judy Greer was born in Detroit in 1975. She was raised Catholic. Her mom was a nun before she got kicked out for such heinous acts as wearing a red dress in the convent. Feels like she was just owning it. Feels like a Judy Greer character. Either way, she was owning it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, She got her first role in 1998 at the age of 23. Uh, she came to a wider attention with Jawbreak in 1999 and a slew of rom-coms in the 2000s, like 27 Dresses, stuff like that. She's had recurring roles in TV like Archer and Arrested Development. Bigger roles have come to her in this decade with the likes of Halloween, Ant-Man, Carrie and Planet of the Apes. And she's also directed a movie called A Happening of Monumental Proportions. And she's also written a book, I Don't Know What You Know Me From, which is a collection of comedic essays, which I believe was kind of a hit with critics. Yeah, and yeah, a very would, funny title. Yeah, 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 because... We, we don't. Yeah, yeah, we don't. Yeah, a lot of people won't. Yeah. yeah. Um, her career is very different to a lot of people we've covered in the podcast in the sense that I don't think there's a very clean arc to it. Yeah. Um, with Viola Davis, we tracked her rise to leading lady. Yeah. With Ben Mendelsohn, his pivot from Australian dramas yeah. to embodying the typical Hollywood villain. Yeah. Barry Keoghan, he went from shooting a cat and love hate yeah. to working with Christopher Nolan. And uh, Carl Urban went from you know trying to be a big Hollywood actor yeah. to just to accept- damn it, Jim, to accepting I'm a character actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with uh, Judy Greer, since she broke onto the scene in the late '90s, has pretty much continuously worked uh, often in very small or supporting roles yeah. in movies with from big directors. Yeah. Like uh, she's in the Alexander Payne movie, Brad Bird movie. She worked with Cameron Crowe, David O. Russell, Jason Reitman, and my Shyamalan, Nancy Myers, Richard Linklater, and Spike Jones. Um, United States tour, a United yeah. States tour of all the best. American directors and um, to this day I don't think anything's really changed for her aside from maybe moving into as you said more blockbusters Uh, she has 137 credits on IMDb which is massive for someone pretty young Um, she's in Jurassic World playing Bryce Dallas Howard's sister but even in that she's away from the action yeah Uh, she's at the beginning and the end yeah Yeah. she's the less career focused more traditionally feminine person the Mm. movie argues uh, the lead character should be which uh, that movie is sexist shite. <laughs> it's really bad. Um, she's in the Halloween. Ho- it's true. It's yeah, terrible. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's also in the Halloween reboot from last year. Um, and then she's in the Ant Man films, playing Paul Rudd's ex wife, who dumps him when he goes to jail. Yeah. And uh, in the new Planet of the Apes films, she plays Annie Serkis' wife in motion yeah. capture. Again, not really a big role. She's away from the action in yeah, a lot of yeah. these movies. Um, that said, I think she's always solid. Yeah. Uh, she often injects very thinly sketched characters with uh, a charm yeah. that makes yeah. her stand out. And I have a quote from her here that reads, uh, you've heard the phrase, there are no small roles, just small actors. Well, I kind of disagree. There are small roles, but when you get a lot of them in a row, you can become a pretty successful actress. And that's what I've done. At least for now, I'm not saying I don't want bigger roles. I'm not that self-satisfied. And who knows how much longer I'll keep getting jobs. I don't have a crystal ball. And even if I did, I'd probably drop it by accident. (laughs) (laughs) Which embodies a a lot of what people like about Judy Greer. She's your fun, sarcastic friend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I think of her as. And um, because she's in so many movies and not always in very memorable parts, um, in the summer of 2015, the phrase the Judy Greer effect Mm. was coined uh, in response to 
her her character's lack of importance in four movies that summer, which was Ant Man, Entourage, Jurassic World, and Tomorrowland. <laughs> the latter she was completely cut from. Yeah. She's in one one like shot. Oh, of the okay. Movie. <laughs> um, something critics argued signified the lack of roles there are for actresses in Hollywood in their thirties and forties. Yeah. So she was the toughest person we've covered in terms of narrowing down movies to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I tried to pick ones where she has a big enough role which were also interesting movies in their own right. Yeah. And I feel you did the same. Yeah. Um, so let's get into it. Let's talk about her first big break, I think, was Three Kings. Yeah, I'd say so. She plays a journalist. It's a very, very small scene. She's maybe a minute of screen time at the most. As you said, one of her big first films. And I think her only one of her only lines is just screaming Major Gates, which who's George Clooney's character over and over again as she has sex with him in front of a row of CCTV monitors. <laughs> She's a reporter, like, having sex with George Clooney's character for a story, basically. Yeah, in a very... Which I'm not sure was common practice during the Gulf War, but, hey, you never know. It's a very satirical war film yeah. about a group of soldiers. Uh, I think it's George Clooney... Mark Wahlberg, Ice Cube, and the director, Spike Jones, who she later works with. Yeah. yeah. Um, who decide to do a robbery during the Gulf War. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's re- it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, I love it really, so really much. Good. With a lot of these movies is that the roles are so small. And yeah. Particularly Three Kings is tiny. I did re- remember the scene, though. It yeah. Stick out. It's very funny. Yeah, it is very and funny. And there's another journalist in the movie who has a bigger role. Yeah, it's played by Nora Dunn. Nora Dunn. Nora Dunn, Dunn, I believe. Nora Dunn. Or Dawn. We, we'll agree to disagree, Stephen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Nor Dawn. <laughs> but um, so there is a little bit of a competitive yeah, thing yeah. they have to go. So the if she was in the movie more, it would make a bit more sense. Yeah. But it would probably be a lot a lot longer movie. Like one of them's chasing George Clooney or maybe both of them are chasing George Clooney or one of them's chasing George Clooney and the other one's chasing Mark Wahlberg or something like that. That would have been fun. Or one of them gets stuck with Spike Jonze's character, you know. Would have been a funnier film, but maybe a less satirical film. From I haven't seen Tree Kings in ages. I love that movie, but I feel that her character mostly exists to set up George Clooney as being the type of person who would abandon the war yeah, and go yeah. rob. And one thing I noticed from Judy Greer is that she, once she's in a movie by somebody, she tends to reappear in a lot of movies by yeah. That. So yeah. she worked with George Clooney in Three Kings, and then later she's in The Descendants yeah. with him. Yeah, and Spike Jonze's in Three Kings, then she's later in Adaptation. So yeah. there are all these connections. The movie, first movie I'm going to talk about is The Specials, which uh, Judy Greer filmed around her Three Kings schedule. Okay, yeah. And um, yeah. One, Her one day of shooting on Three Kings. Exactly. <laughs> her busy schedule. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to argue that The Specials is a particularly great movie or something that you need to rush out and see. Yeah. That said, I do think it is very interesting. It's directed by Craig Mazin. Uh, do you know who that is? Yeah, he wrote um, Chernobyl. He wrote Chernobyl, yeah. which is the furthest thing from yeah. the specials or any of the other movies he's been involved yeah. in. I think he's got writing credits yeah. on Superhero Movie, which was the spoof of superhero yeah. movies that came out kind of right before superhero he's movies just took fail- off. His classic like male Hollywood entitlement of just failing your way upwards. I don't think it's that. I feel with Craig Mazin, it's more he's worked on a lot of things and what happened to get made were just bad movies. <laughs> Whatever, I stand by my point, Stephen. <laughs> okay, fair, no, fair play. It's also... Written by James Gunn, the specials. Oh, okay. Um, which is interesting because it is a superhero movie without any action. And it focuses on the day-to-day life of superheroes, an element which I'd argue carried over to Gunn's later movies, yeah. like uh, Super with Rain Wilson, yeah. which I, I love that movie, and The Two Guardians of the Galaxies. And then on top of that, it was released in 2000, same year as Unbreakable, another distinct take on superheroes. And with both, it's hard not to feel that had they come out later on yeah. after the superhero boom they would have been more widely seen and maybe been more critical successes as opposed to being made at a time when there wasn't much of a genre to even deconstruct yeah they were yeah. more deconstructing the idea of comic books but nowadays 
those tropes are in superhero movies yeah. they're a lot more widely popular yeah um i feel that the specials predicted that a strand of people would grow tired of traditional superheroes leading to the success of things now like deadpool yeah or on tv we talked about it last episode the boys, the boys yeah. or watchmen things like that so the film centers on the america's seventh best superhero team the specials they are led by married couple the strobe and miss indestructible played by thomas hayden church and Padre brewster also in the team is Rob Lowe's Weasley hero, the Weevil, who's having an affair with Miss Indestructible. Uh, on top of that, there's a reformed villain named Amok and Deadly Girl, who's Judy Greer's character, a young woman who has the ability to enter the world of the dead and travel through it, Ooh. reappearing anywhere she chooses. Uh, she can also summon demons to do her bidding, which she says sometimes makes you feel good about yourself. <laughs> okay. Um, in the superhero community, they're a joke. Their costumes look really cheap and their powers don't seem that useful. One of the team can lay eggs. <laughs> Uh, the movie all takes place over a day, though, where that could change. The group are set to become a line of action figures, meaning a greater level of fame and also money for merchandising. In fact, the team don't seem to really care about saving people at all, Okay, <laughs> which is quite funny. However, it all goes up in smoke when everyone's ego gets in the way and when the toy launch only serves to reinforce that no one cares about the specials. Okay. Yes, yeah, so there's no superhero action yeah, or special effects in know, this movie. It doesn't sound that special. It's just the gang hanging out before and after this big toy launch and uh, watching now after getting used to the DC an MCU formula of yeah. filmmaking it's hard not to admire how low energy the yeah. specials is that said the film never feels that propulsive and because of how cheaply made it is it looks like it cost under a million to make and um, has some narrative devices that you'd see on TV like characters breaking the fourth wall office oh, okay, style yeah. if it has like sitcom energy yeah. which means uh, individual parts are pretty which funny which a movie should never have that's yeah. it like movie it, like parts are funny but the whole thing outstays its welcome which is crazy because it's like 82 minutes <laughs> you know um, that's a Greer in a cast of very talented people I think Rob Lowe and Tom St. Church are also very yeah. good she steals the show um, she plays Deadly Girl like a teenage goth uh, the monotone voice yeah. you know the doom and gloom vibe the constant eye rolling yeah. that thing and it's something that both makes sense for the character yeah. who could do that but it's yeah. also very funny that's even before you take into account that Judy Greer is the opposite of that yeah, and is yeah. known so play bright, bright and funny very and chipper characters yeah. Yeah. so I think it's a good example of her versatility in that way and uh, I think others agree with me because the IMDB quotes page for the specials are just her lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I used to think I didn't need a family. I mean, I had the demons and the walking skeletons. But the difference between a walking skeleton and a kid is a kid won't eat the soft parts of your face while you're sleeping. <laughs> Very <laughs> true. Or yeah. when Thomas Hayden Church is warning them about being reckless with their powers when drinking, she says, Ted might have been right about some things, like drinking. Last week I got drunk at a bar mitzvah. I'm thinking like someone four demons and they ate a kid. <laughs> so uh, they're just funny lines which yeah. Judy Greer despite not being a comedian herself really has a knack for delivering and adding to which I think is partly down to the fact that no matter what type of role she plays there is always a part of Greer's demeanour and characters which feels very relatable yeah yeah I think that's true um, she's not like Angelina Jolie or Jennifer Lawrence she's not in the tabloids her personal life seems pretty grounded yeah. so she doesn't have that baggage yeah. that uh, can weigh down certain stars' performance and then also on top of that uh, her characters and performances even when they are quite outlandish like Deadly Girl there are elements which viewers can recognize as being clued into reality. Like uh, with Deadly Girl, she's clearly someone putting up an emotional wall, probably because she was bullied for her abilities and is insecure. Yeah. Like, after that thing she says about getting demons to do her bidding and how it makes her feel good, she asks like, rather sincerely, like, do you think that makes me creepy? <laughs> it's a, a sort of human moment in yeah, this weird, yeah. wacky comedy. Speaking of gothic stuff, I watched Cursed, which is a werewolf movie that... Uh, Started production in 2003 or maybe late 2002, but it didn't get a release until 2005 because guess why? The Weinstein Brothers. 
Wah, wah. Yeah, mostly Bob on this one, thank God. Um, yeah, it's about um, Jenny uh, and Jimmy, who were played by Christina Ricci and uh, Jesse Zuckerberg. I mean Jesse Eisenberg, um, <laughs> who are brother and sister after their parents have died. And uh, Jenny does PR on some dead talk show. It used to be a used to be a talk show. Not, it's not anymore. Uh, a talk show real, for dead people. No, a real talk show. Okay. Like that is now dead. Um, <laughs> and Je- Jimmy is like a high school student, a nerd, a nerd high school student. Uh, yeah, ba- basically, it's a reteam up of uh, Kevin Williamson who wrote Scream and Wes Craven who directed all the Scream movies. And uh, yeah, it's not a great movie. It's I don't think it's as bad as everyone made it out to be. It's certainly. Um, not what I expected from the man that directed... Because Scream is quite a violent movie. Mm. And it's and also his other movies, past movies like uh, Last House on the Left and The Hills of Eyes. People uh, Under the Stairs. People Under the Stairs. Serpent uh, and the Rainbow. Serpent and the Rainbow. For a movie directed by a man who directed all those like schlocky, very controversial movies. Not that violent. Oh. In fact, not very violent at all. Like de- like definitely like PG-13 or f- 15th rating, basically. It was supposed to be R-rated. And uh, like the spe- special effects were done by Rick Baker. He's very famous. Yeah. In terms not, of Mar- American Werewolf in American London. Werewolf in yes. London. Like the perfect man to get for your werewolf movie. And they just fucked it. Hmm. Like that the, sounds Weinstein-y. Yeah, yeah. They realized, oh, more people go see this if it's PG-13. Yeah. As opposed to an R-rated. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. Yeah, I mean... I'll be honest, there is some good visual flares to it. Um, like the first part where the werewolf pops up, you rarely see him see it in full. Like you only ever see its like hackles on, under, underneath a car or uh, you see its eyes. And then eventually you see the full thing and you're like, ooh, now I know why Dog Soldiers was shot in the dark at nighttime. Yeah. yeah. Werewolf, men in rubber suits, they look a whole lot better than CGI, but at the end of the day, they're still in men in rubber suits. But career though. Yeah, yeah, she plays Joni, who's like a bitchy PR person, uh, like typical kind of Hollywood, like woman, you know, the stereotype basically, the sexist stereotype of like trying to be skinny while still trying to make, try to be like super super thin while also trying to be super super attractive, and the two, you know, not that compatible. I think she's good at injecting like some kind of extra little bit of venom into it, because spoiler, she is one of the werewolves, one of the evil werewolves. She goes from like, oh, bitchy PR girl into full-on bitch. Just for the record, I didn't ask for this. It was just a hot night with a guy that every girl in town wanted. Lucky me. Should have been more careful, though. I got a little rough in bed and wound up cursed by the mark of the fucking beast. That Jake with the catch. Oh, my God. Thought he was the one, you know, but all I got was a couple of dates, some hot sex, and a... Ready for a relationship right now? It's not you. It's me. Men. They're all beasts. She is really glamorous as a human and also kind of as a werewolf as well because she maintains that kind of like veneer of, ooh, I'm better than you. Um, But she's also like really hungry as well. You think you're into the werewolf, Andrew? Listen, let's not get into furries yet. That comes on later <laughs> hey, later in the episode. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um yeah, it's like a very hungry performance. Like, you know, she's very ambitious, but she's also a werewolf, so it's like, "Oh, look at this. Uh, the she two sings, sides finally meet." Yeah. She sings I'm hungry like the wolf at one point. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's a movie with some good visual flares like the part, there's a cut where it zooms out on the city of LA and like all the lights of the city form to make a pentagram, which comes back again and again in the movie as like uh, an image of 
where it's like the mark of the beast and the defor- forms a pentagram on every character's hand that's a werewolf it's really good that sounds great yeah just after Scream Wes Craven had a pretty fucking spotty career yeah I don't yeah. even know what's after Cursed he just did loads of Screams didn't he yeah, yeah. Um, well Cursed may have been you know, not too great but Judy Greer has a tiny role in the Spike Jonze movie adaptation and I thought we should cover it because it's a masterpiece so yeah I've never seen it yeah. uh, so picture the scene you're, you were Charlie Kaufman you're a Hollywood big shot and after the success of being John Malkovich or at least the script of it you're hired to adapt someone else's work journalist Susan Orlean's non-fiction book The Orchid Thief about a horticulturalist who she profiled after he was arrested for poaching rare endangered wild ghost orchids the book is good enough to become a hit yet sprawling filled with tangents while telling its core simple unsensational story so how do you adapt that you want to stay true to the original person's artist's vision you want people to like it you want it to be just about flowers and how great they are no romance no sex no violence but you also want it to be a big hit what do you do Kaufman instead of adapting it adapted him trying to adapt it (laughs) so Nicolas Cage in the film plays Charlie Kaufman a neurotic screenwriter with writer's block struggling to adapt The Orchard Thief Orchid Thief all the while, his twin brother, Donald, a fake creation for the movie to explore ideas about writing, becomes an overnight sensation with a really hacky psychological thriller called The Three. <laughs> about a, a cop who's investigating a serial killer who's kidnapped a woman. And at the end, it turns out that they're all the same character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the first half of the movie is Cage's Charlie Kaufman freaking out about adopting the orchid thief. Interspersed with pretty a pretty straight retelling of the book, where yeah. Orlean and the horticulturalist are played by Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper won an Oscar for Best Boy Actor for his performance. Good for him. However, at about the midway point, the movie just goes off the rails and diverges from the true story of Orlean's book and becomes filled with sex, drugs, and violence. Uh, the things his agent and his producers want. So it all answers this very funny, very profound movie about adaptation, creation, Hollywood obsession, yeah. passion, writing, staying true to the spirit of its source while also completely departing from it. <laughs> it's one of the most interesting adaptations. And it says at the beginning of the movie, adapted from The Orchid Thief. And I can imagine Susan Orlean reading this because she signed off on it. Yeah. And like, what the fuck? No! <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> yeah, so at the beginning of the movie, Cage's Charlie is very in his head. There's this running, babbling narration where he hears inner thoughts. He worries about his appearance, being bald, being fat, being a loser. They make Nicolas Cage look amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen so, pictures. It's yeah, so, insane. Somehow he looks bald like you can see that he has no hair but there yeah. is hair there yeah, I don't know yeah. how they did it and um, in a way his mind Coffin's mind which allows him to be so creative can't be stopped it's always just on yeah. and he can't turn it off yeah. and there's this really early part in the movie where he's hanging out with a woman played by Cara Seymour who he really loves he could kiss her and she's clearly into him but his insecurities get in the way which causes her to lose interest in him Okay, yeah. so there's a part in the film where he's story tr- of my life hey so there's a part in the film where he tries to be more like his brother who is less intellectual but yeah. is happier because he doesn't think so deeply yeah. about things. Um, he tries to be more forward with a waitress played by Judy Greer who loves flowers and takes an interest in him when she sees him reading The Orchid Thief yeah. and it goes horribly. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Greer comes over as you know, cheerful, charismatic yeah. self and Charlie immediately asks her does she want to go to Santa Barbara for the weekend to see an orchid show? <laughs> and her cheerfulness just drops and she looks so creeped out and even to add insult to injury then she goes to over to a workmate and you don't hear with the conversation but she's clearly asking her to wait on him instead <laughs> epiphytes grow in trees but they're not parasites they get all their nourishment from the air and the rain wow I'm impressed that's great there are more than 30,000 kinds of orchids in the world wow that's a lot huh <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah 
So I'll be right back with an extra large slice of key lime pie for my orchid expert. But so anyway, I was also wondering, I'm going up to Santa Barbara this Saturday for an orchid show, and I, and I, I. Oh. I'm sorry. Well, um. I apologize. So I'll just be right back with your pie then. <laughs> and it's this really small role, but it's so memorable. And I, I think it, it foreshadows Greer as being someone able to move quite seamlessly yeah. in between modes very naturally, yeah. even in just a scene. Uh, that's something I'm going to talk about later when discussing more movies yeah. of hers. Yeah, so what other movies did you watch? Uh, I watched The Descendants, which is also an adaptation, but a more straightforward adaptation, yeah. I'd say. It's about, um, yeah, it's basically about a lawyer called Matt who lives in Hawaii. And um, basically his wife is put into a coma in a boating accident. Uh, and it's also in the middle of this like big land deal he's um, in charge of. He's super old money rich yeah yeah he's Hawaiian royalty basically yeah. but without being native Hawaiian yes. yeah so colonial Hawaiian rich basically yeah his wife is put in a coma but his wife was having an affair with the broker for the land who's played by um, Matthew Lillard Shaggy Shaggy yeah I, I <laughs> love Scooby Doo I love Matthew and who's in Scream Lillard. and he's yeah. in Twin Peaks The Return hey. uh, it's one of the best parts of it <laughs> no joke he's yeah. insanely good at it yes and Judy Greer is Julie Spear who, yeah, who is um, didn't really try there. Yeah, who's Brian Spears' wife, uh, who's Matt, Matt Lillard, uh, Shaggy, and she's in I think just the one scene. No, she has a couple. She's in the one scene that I watched. <laughs> <laughs> You'd uh, seen it before, but you yeah, didn't rewatch yeah. of this. No, I, yeah, yeah. I literally finished watching it two hours ago, <laughs> so it's really fresh in my mind. Yeah. Um, um, so from what I saw of uh, that one scene I watched, uh, God, I hope Judy Green never listens to this. <laughs> she was like, they did no work for this. No. Um, uh, no, please listen to our podcast, Judy. Please share uh, it. We need more yeah, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, her performance in it is very affecting, um, especially like because she has her big scene at the end where she's basically confronting this dying comatose woman in a bed and who's like leaned back, her mouth is open, and like is ba- may as well is basically brain dead, and she's just screaming at her like, "I should hate you." But I can't and that kind of thing. Like, yeah, she, I have to she, forgive you. She forgives her even though you tried to destroy my family. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's such a powerful scene. Elizabeth, I'm Julie. I'm Brian's wife. I just want to tell you. I just want to tell you I forgive you. I forgive you for trying to take Brian away. I forgive you for trying to destroy my family. Because I just, I have to forgive you. I just have to forgive you. Even though I should hate you. Okay, okay, that's enough. I just have to forgive you. Honestly, I think that's enough. When you're watching the movie, you're meant to believe that George Clooney witnessing this woman removing herself from the situation and just forgiving this person makes him choose to forgive his wife. Yeah. And uh, you totally buy it because when yeah, she cries, yeah. I cry, and then George Clooney cries. <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, yeah, it's a real seal. It's a real seal the deal role. Like it really wraps up the movie really well mm. um, because it's like it's a, it's a, it really asserts that empathy and forgiveness are really like kind of cleansing feelings and acts that you can perform or have. It's also 
really fucking funny. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> Where she's like, I have to forgive you. And it's just hard cut to a dead woman in a bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, oh. I have a quote from her bed where she says, I would have played any character in an Alexander Payne movie. I was happy this was a good one and that for such a short amount of time I got to do so much. It was so well-rounded and really had that great journey. That is so rare. And I would know because I play a lot of supporting characters. Well, I play all supporting characters. (laughs) So she, again, has a humor about herself. Yeah, yeah. Um, She also has a a small yet similarly pivotal role in uh, Grandma, a film which came out in 2015 and is about a a lesbian poet named Elle played by Lily Tomlin. Just seems like a vehicle for Lily Tomlin. Yeah. Um, she gets a visit from her 18-year-old granddaughter, played by um, Julia Garner, who's in Ozark. She's pregnant and wants an abortion, can't afford it, and doesn't want her mom to find out. Mm. So the comedy drama sees Elle visiting people from her past who owe her favor or her money to try and raise funds for this yeah. abortion. It all takes place over one day. Uh, Greer plays Olivia, a younger admirer of Elle, who she ends up in a four-month relationship with. However, the film begins with Olivia breaking up with her, calling her a terrible girlfriend and an asshole, mm. to which Elle replies that their relationship meant nothing. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And then later in the film, they cross paths and have this very funny shouting match, which uh, culminates with Olivia calling Elle a rider in residence. Like, rider in residence! As if that was the like the worst thing you could say yeah. to somebody. Implying that she's a sellout. Yeah. Yeah, the film ends with Elle coming to Olivia's house, apologizing for being a jerk and basically realizing that she was putting up an emotional wall because she wasn't over her long-term partner who died a year yeah. before the movie starts and uh, doesn't want to date anyone else yet. But then she tells Greer's character she hopes she has a wonderful life and what Elle had with the big love of her life. So she yeah. wishes her well. It's Aww. a very peaceful, amicable yeah. ending to the relationship. And, you know, what starts as sad at the beginning becomes very funny in the middle. Yeah. And quite sweet at the end, yeah. which is a nice three-scene arc for Greer and Tomlin to play that really bookends the film yeah. really well. And uh, I don't think it would work if Greer wasn't able to move through the modes, those modes, those emotions so effortlessly. Yeah. Or the fact that like we miss her presence throughout the film. Yeah. So we're very happy when she comes back at the end. And yeah. just her being at the beginning, the middle, and the end is enough to be like, oh, the movie's over, yeah. you know, which is really great. Classic three-act structure. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I watched Addicted to Fresno. And I think Judy Greer is quite good in that movie because she, because she plays like quite an unlikable character. Yeah, she's very uh, mean. Yeah, very mean. But she's also, she's a sex addict uh, with no impulse control. And so she's constantly telling people about her sexual exploits or te- telling them their flaws or stuff like that. Uh, or telling them her flaws. She has sex with a man who has a rat tail mullet. God, can you imagine? No. No, me neither. <laughs> Cat. Uh, good, I'm glad we neither of us can. Yeah, she's a train wreck of a person. But I think... Uh, her performance finds something in addiction that a lot of other kind of things lack like she has all the tics like she's constantly smoking she's bored all the time she's sleeping she's anything to you know try and stay away from the addiction like she is trying to recover I think but obviously constantly failing and on the the flip side of that kind of depression is like a mania of like constantly looking for her next fix which includes like sleeping with her therapist from uh, rehab or having sex with a man who has a rat tail mullet. Yeah, I, I've Can you se- imagine? I've seen Addicted to Fresno a couple of years ago, so I, I didn't rewatch really it this, but yeah. I didn't think it was very good. But uh, I do think it's one of those movies where a lot of great actors in search of a good script. Yeah. And I think Addicted to Fresno, looking at it now, is sort of like, oh, Natasha Leon, who plays her sister in yeah. the movie, I yeah. think. You're like, Natasha Leon should be in more movies. And yeah. now this year, we've had Russian Doll, Honey yeah. Boy, yeah. Ad Astra. Like, oh. Oh. People listen, you know. <laughs> uh, Natalie Owen is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, can we talk about another w- wacky movie? Yeah, of course. Pottersville? 
Oh God! Yeah. Which we talked about. Speaking in, of furries, which we talked about in our pilot episode that when we were called No Country for Character Animals, yeah. which you can listen to on SoundCloud. Yeah. As I said before, the way you can tell listening to that episode, you can tell the difference between a show that was recorded in a bedroom yeah. and a show that was recorded on a podcast studio, yeah. like Head Stuff, and with support and people yeah. who gave very constructive feedback. Yeah. But um, break down the plot of Pottersville. It's your favorite movie. So. I wouldn't call it that um, but yeah Pottersville is a movie about a man called Maynard Grieger uh, <laughs> who's played by Michael Shannon and he's like one of the few successful businessmen left in the town of in the fictional town of Pottersville which I presume is in upstate New York or somewhere like that and uh, basically it's economically depressed and one day he comes home from work to discover that his wife who's played by Christina Hendricks is a furry a person that dresses up as a as a animal not necessarily to have sex but she's one of those people that do have sex when dressed as a rabbit or animal of her choice and I'm a wolf I'm a wolf yeah that's yeah, what Ron, Perlman, Ron Perlman is the one she's cheating on Michael Shannon Michael with. Shannon keeps saying what is this a rabbit or something yeah. and Ron Perlman under I'm a her wolf costume, oh, I'm shouting wolf. I'm a wolf I'm a wolf <laughs> yeah and basically Michael Shannon's character Maynard goes a uh, little insane and uh, gets drunk and runs around town dressed as a gorilla I don't know why he does it but I think it's big, there's some connection between his wife wants him to be more impulsive oh, and yeah, be a furry yeah, yeah, and yeah. he has a gorilla costume yeah. in his store. Yeah. Doesn't go to her house though. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and he's drinking moonshine yeah, as well that yeah. Ian McShane's Hunter yeah. gave him. Yeah. It's just a perfect storm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not sweaty screenwriting at no, all. No, no. No. And uh, basically people are convinced that the town is being stalked by Bigfoot and uh, the whole town goes crazy like a monster hunting TV show comes along and in the middle of this perfect storm is Maynard Grieger and Parker, his store assistant slash future love interest, who's played by Judy Greer. Yeah. Bit of a nothing role, you know? Pretty, the movie totally forgets about yeah, her yeah, for an hour. Yeah. And the movie's yeah. 80 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, to- a totally weird movie. I would say the big emotional moment that Judy Greer has in the movie, yeah. where basically at the end of the movie, everyone realizes that's not Bigfoot. Yeah. It's, it's our buddy Maynard yeah. acting a fool, making us all look like idiots. Mm. And everyone's very annoyed at him. But earlier on in the movie, there was a scene where um, someone was coming to a store and because the town was in a recession, they couldn't pay for groceries. And he said, oh, I'll give you credit. And he writes writes a note, yeah, writes a yeah. note in a book. And then at the end of the movie, Judy Greer is like, you're so quick to dismiss this person who you've known for your life. He's done so much for this community. And someone's like, what has he ever done for the community? And she takes out the book and there was nothing ever written in it. Oh. He Beautiful. Just, he was a good man. Yeah. And that moment, I was like... Never let me go eat your heart out or any other romantic movie you can think of. I, I literally went, aw. <laughs> it worked for me. And the movie, the, Pottersville is so weird. I, I have to say, I did enjoy it, but it is one of those things where you're like, this movie should either be a lot more normal yeah. or a lot more insane. Yeah. And it, yeah. it sort of treats everything very hallmarky. Yeah. It even looks like a hallmark yeah. movie. No one swears in that movie at all. Not really. Yeah. And even though it's about furries yeah. and it's about... um. Australian exploitative yeah. <laughs> TV shows. It's very strange. Yeah, it's odd. Yeah, it's so it's a combination of things that should never be in a Hallmark Christmas movie. It's like a person worked. It's not a Hallmark Christmas worked movie, on either. Hallmark Christmas movies and was so fed up of being exactly. stifled that yeah, he went yeah. off and was like, "I'm yeah, gonna." Yeah. I don't know how he managed to get so many actors in the movie because yeah. the cast is stacked. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Crazy. Yeah, I reckon all the money went on them. I'd say so. Yeah. 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 We can't end this podcast talking about Pottersville. No, no, we, um, we do, and also, we won't. I will say Pottersville was great because we're recording this now two weeks before Christmas. Yeah, and good Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah. got me in the mood yeah, a little bit. I guess so. Yeah. Even though it features no Christmas iconography, apart yeah. from 
a my tree. favorite Christmas person, Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, and furries. And furries, of course. There's, there's, a, wolf. there's a bunny in it. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's yeah. Easter. Um, Halloween. Let's talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about Halloween. Halloween 2018. Yeah, Halloween 2018. David Gordon Green's yeah. reboot of the John Carpenter classic yeah. franchise. Yeah. A movie which no one thought would be good. Yeah. And then it, written by yeah. Danny McBride. Yeah. And it turned out it was great. I read a quote from Danny McBride today saying that they tried to make the Halloween movie rely more on tension than it does in explicit violence. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It's not it, at all. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it does create tension quite well, but it also has a doctor's head get crushed under a boot. Yeah. yeah. Very and, graphically. And they killed two podcasters in the movie, yeah, which was yeah. very scary for me being yeah, a podcaster. Yeah, yeah. I was like, when I watched that movie, I wasn't, a podcaster and now that I am I'm like hmm, I'm not sure if I want to see this again <laughs> the blank check podcast did a really good joke where it's like hi we're here with Michael Myers <laughs> 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 uh, it's basically Michael Myers comes back after 40 years and once again starts stalking Laurie Strode who's but, played by uh, Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. but Laurie Strode this time has become not a survivalist but akin to a survivalist for not the apocalypse but for Michael, Michael Myers, Myers coming yeah, back. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Myers prepper. The movie is also, it's about Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Laurie Strode, but it's also about Laurie Strode's granddaughter who the, on this Halloween has some sort of prom-like yeah, event. Thing, yeah. And he's stalking her as well, or comes to stalk yeah. her and her friends. And Judy Greer plays the bridge between those two generations yeah. pretty well. Yeah. So Karen Nelson, knee Strode. So yeah. you start to see through Judy Greer the toll that the abuse that Laurie Strode suffered with yeah. Michael Myers, how yeah. that filtered down through yeah. Judy Griggs, they're not very close. No, she doesn't yeah. seem to have a good relationship with her mother. Yeah. And I think it adds a really good emotional spine to yeah, yeah. a very solid Sasha movie. Yeah, I think um, what gets me about that movie, about those two performances, specifically Jamie Lee Curtis and all three women, I suppose, is that like uh, Laurie Strode is all about control. You know, she buys all these weapons. She... Uh, fortifies her home uh, she's keeping watch on Michael Myers uh, whereas um, Karen Strode is kind of tightly wound in a different way like you can tell she's like the I suppose to use an out of date outdated phrase wears the pants in the house like she's the, not necessarily the main breadwinner but definitely controls the family love the actor who plays her husband yeah, Toby yeah he's, he's great, really he's good actor. yeah yeah, she just gives off. I think she just gives off the impression of being in or wanting to be in control all the time. And the two elements she can't control are her mother and her daughter. And then the movie introduces another element she can't control, which is Michael Myers. Yeah, but her mother has trained her to control Michael Myers. So, and that's where like kind of like I don't, I wouldn't know how to describe it, but her training kicks in basically. Mm. Yeah, and there's a really good moment at the end of the movie. It's just gotcha. I think that finale is perfect. Yeah, which yeah. I, makes me a little bit sad that they're doing two more movies because yeah. I feel they ramped that story up better than anyone could have yeah yeah. Uh, I will say what I love about that movie because I know the term slasher even to myself gives an impression of a certain type of movie yeah. that I know people don't like to yeah, watch where yeah. it's just people, annoying people being killed yeah yeah whereas Halloween what I love about the reboot is that you really like everybody. Yeah, that's very and true. And they always yeah, give three yeah. or four minutes to the people who are about to be killed yeah, so that there yeah. is tension and that you are really yeah. upset. Especially um, the two cops where it's like... Talking about the sandwich. Yeah, talking about the sandwich. And he's like, no, I don't want your sandwich. I brought my own food to eat. What did you bring? And he just opens a... He's like, I, brought, I made brownie mix. That's something like a five-year-old would make if he could make lunch for himself. And then... Or Laurie Strode's granddaughter's mate who is sort of the best friend who's in the friend zone 
Oh, and Dylan had, Robbins. Yeah, and he has yeah. that breakdown where Michael Myers is messing with him, yeah, yeah. but he thinks it's one of like his mates. And yeah. he's like, can't you leave oh, me alone? The, oh, that guy. Sorry. Joe, yeah, that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, seems yeah. really funny yeah, and yeah. really scary. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, because it's got the security light going on mm. and off. Yeah, and then yeah, he gets yeah. impaled on the gate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and what I think is another good joke is the fact that it comes to Halloween, like the sun hasn't even gone down, and Judy Greer's in a Christmas sweater, yeah. fully ready for Halloween <laughs> I to didn't be even over. Notice that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. On top of that, Judy Greer, like a lot of character actors, we've focused on she does a lot of tv yeah as well and i've listed yeah. some of her credits here she plays in um the tv show it's always sunny in philadelphia she plays d's rival ingrid fatty magoo nelson <laughs> <laughs> oh. so funny she is kitty sanchez in arrested development jason bateman's assistant who yeah. every time she gets into a fight with jason bateman says and say goodbye to these and flashes him <laughs> to this extent that when she does it jason bateman i was like oh god <laughs> it's so funny um she is in the room 104 episode where michael shannon raps in a russian accent oh. which is an amazing episode yeah. of television um you she should just play that instead of anything from judy greer's part in that episode <laughs> that's a pen name and then what's your real name? Pen name right that's a pen name real name pen name real name no matter what you call me realist in the game What's the real name? Pin name. Realist in the game. <laughs> um, she is in a great episode of Easy, the Joe Swanberg Netflix TV show, which is an anthology. Oh, yeah. And the episode is really good. She has this daughter who she catches, a teenage daughter who she catches having sex with her boyfriend. Mm. And as punishment, sends her to um, some sort of like Catholic camp. And then when she's in the Catholic camp, she gets really into it. And they come from a privileged family. Yeah. She donates all her life savings to the church because she really believes in it. Yeah. But then the church, instead of giving it to charity, just redoes their church. Yeah. And she gets very annoyed. And the whole thing is like, don't trust organized religion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a really good episode. And Judy Greer in the episode is sort of like, that was really stupid, but I do get where you're coming yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a really good arc. And then she is in an episode of Modern Family, which is really funny, where phil dunphy re- has been texting his old flame for yeah. years and he thinks it's totally you know yeah. um what's platonic yeah and then she shows up and wants to have sex with him <laughs> he's like i'm married <laughs> it's really good and then she's uh, like one of the main characters an archer and then she's in the kidding the jim carrey tv show and she i think she's a character in that oh, okay which is where jim carrey plays a kids presenter who has a breakdown God help him. And Michael Gondry. God help show. us. Yeah. yeah. But I heard it's good. Yeah. But any more thoughts on Judy Greer? I feel like this episode's a little bit more chaotic than other ones mm, just because yeah. her she is the most character actor person we focus yeah, where there isn't a lot of pattern yeah. in her career. Yeah. It's a lot of small roles or bit parts in yeah. big movies. You have to yeah. extrapolate meaning from the chaos. Exactly. And uh, as a character actor scientist, this one's flummoxing me, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's re- a, a lot of these movies that she's in, the casting is really good because yeah. they're bit parts, but you need to be... Like, they're only in the movie for a certain amount, but they're people you need to remember. Yeah. And I think having Judy Greer is someone where, like, I am already familiar with this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No yeah. matter if you know where you've seen her yeah. or if you yeah. don't, you're just like, I reckon I know yeah. that type of person. Yeah. And I think that is what makes her um, very versatile and yeah. consistently working. Yeah, so any more to say? 
Nope. Think we're good? Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'll just say um, follow us on Twitter at I know that face P1. Yeah. We have I know that face pod at gmail.com if you want to message us. Yeah. Uh, Give sure. us a suggestion or if you want to come on yourself at some point. Yeah, that would be great. Please provide your credentials if exactly. you do. Exactly. <laughs> credentials. Andrew, where can people find more of your work? Uh, as usual, you can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section. Uh, please do submit an article if you have anything to say about what we play, how we play, or why we play. And um, you can find me at Hot Press, Headstuff, Film Section, and Travel Hour Magazine, where I'm giving tips on culture, things that you can do in Dublin or across Ireland. On that note, see you later, Cinephiles. Bye-bye. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. Plus. 